Welcome into the Locked On Knicks podcast. I'm Gavin Shaw. Today, I'm joined by Benji Ridholtz of Knicks Film School to discuss Julius Randle's past, present, and future on the New York Knicks. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Hey, what's up, guys? This is Locked On Knicks, and today's episode is brought to you by Game Time. Download the Game Time app, create an account, and use code Locked On NBA for twenty dollars off your first purchase. And if you want to become an everyday listener to Locked On Knicks and join the elite company of our everydayers, uh, you can do so by hitting the notifications bell um, and the subscription button on YouTube. And be sure to do the same on your audio podcast platform of choice. But if you're looking at the screen and saying, "Hey, Gavin, that's not quite enough for me," well, you can take it a step further by subscribing to our subtext. The link is in the episode description. We will send you our day-to-day thoughts on everything happening to the New York Knicks, the latest rumors, the latest news, the latest analysis, and you can respond by asking us any question you have about the Knicks or, or your dating life, whatever you're feeling. Um, but I'm Gavin Shelley, uh, the guy who's going to be giving you that advice, your favorite play-by-play broadcaster's favorite play-by-play broadcaster. And today, I'm joined by Benji Ridholtz, who is a longtime uh, returning guest on this podcast, a contributor for Knicks Film School. Um, he makes incredible Twitter threads uh, breaking down, um, I, I think, pretty much essentially each and every Knicks game and any cool trends he noticed. Um, he is just flat out one of the smartest people who covers this team. Um, so I'm really excited to be joined by him um, to discuss Julius Randle, who I think will uh, probably be the Knicks' most important player this year, even if he's not their best. I'll explain why in just a sec. All right, guys, as promised, oh boy, this is a great day. Uh, One of my uh, single favorite people in the world to talk Knicks with, uh, longtime uh, guest on this show, fantastic contributor over at Knicks Film School, uh, my good friend, Benji Ridholtz, and uh, we are talking, you, you you called him your favorite player, uh, in, in definitely with <laughs> zero sarcasm uh, before we started this podcast. We're talking Julius Randle. Ben, Benji, welcome back. Uh, ex- excited to get into it with you. Man, excited to be here. Always good to be back with you, Gavin. Um, since I got started doing this, you guys have been kind enough to have me on. It's always been fun, a great conversation. You guys are so good at what you do. And uh, yeah, Julius Randle, he is not my favorite player, but I think he's a misunderstood player to some extent and an underappreciated player at times. So I'm excited to get into the nuances and details of the enigma that is Julius Randle. I, I've weirdly, I mean, obviously it's been a been a roller coaster. When you when you're doing a podcast five days a week, it's it's a roller coaster with every player, but with Julius um, yes. in particular. And the playoffs got a little bit toxic. And certainly on this podcast, they got a little bit toxic to Julius Randle. Then over the summer. I've weirdly found myself more and more like defending the guy and being in on the guy. And I just like, I, I was going over some of the numbers last year, put up 25 points, 10 rebounds, four assists per game. The only other players in the league to hit those marks, Joel Embiid, Giannis Antetokounmpo, two guys who finished top three in MVP voting. The playoffs were, were not as kind to Julius, 17 points, eight rebounds, three and a half assists, 37% from the field, 26% from three, 71% from the foul line. And looking back on that 37% number, um, all I could think was, hey, he shot, I think, 29% um, from the field last time he was in the playoffs, something like 27% from, from two-point range. <laughs> so so like, improvement? Going, he's going in the right direction. It's looking, <laughs> it's, looking, it's looking better and better as time uh, goes along. Um, but he, um, you could argue some of his success last season might not be sustainable. And that's what I'm, I'm curious to get your take on, on first. W- w- what do you think the biggest drivers of his success were? And and do you think we see them again this year? Yeah, I do think it's sustainable. Um, I, it's been a fascinating three years. Well, it's been four, but in the Tibbs era, let's say three years that matter to me. Um, 
and he has changed and evolved his game in each year sometimes in a good way sometimes in a bad way he's he's been asked to change his game i think in significant ways and i think he doesn't get enough credit for taking that advice and implementing it even again if the results didn't come out the way they wanted to so like we we back season or we hear season i should say we hear season right that first tibs here hmm. he becomes like this Kawhi leonard mid-range assassin he is in isolation he is pivoting posting it's carmelo like almost in the way he was utilized um then they bring in fournier and kemba and they ask him to reallocate a little bit into more of a playmaker and like start becoming a hub at the elbows and i think it really messed with him i think that transition was difficult for him from going to like there's no bad shot to like i have to get others involved that we just signed to these big money contracts and he suffered and then it all kind of obviously spun out um, with the thumbs down and everything else. And he had one of his worst, worst seasons of his career in terms of efficiency. And then I think they smartly said to him, we don't want you shooting a gazillion mid-range shots anymore. That was that one season, probably unsustainable. Like, let's chill on that. I don't think you're necessarily made to be a hub because you're not the best processor decision maker. Let's maybe not have you in that role. I want you to shoot a ton of threes, is what they said to him, right? And he did, man. He was one of the highest three-point attempt guys in the league last season. And for a person that came into the league as a non-shooter, it's pretty remarkable um, that we've gotten to this point. And look, he only made 35%, but 35% on that kind of volume is a helpful uh, a helpful diet of shots. And it helps winning. It contributed, obviously, to a great offense. I don't see why that version of Randall, who is just kind of not hesitant from three, can probably make 35%, can make step backs, as we saw again last night, pretty consistently when they need a bailout shot, but also catch and shoot from the wings. He's going to gun away. Off of that, he can attack closeouts. We saw the dunk last night and the, uh, the ridiculous, vicious dunk that someone of his size and skill is. There just aren't that many that are capable of that kind of move with the power and the grace combination that he provides. Make your passes out of doubles which he does pretty well. I see a sustainable model for Julius Randle that they've kind of come to after three years of figuring out where the best role is for this guy. I think you just did a great job summing up the the eye test of what I was seeing in stats, looking at this throughout the day. He shot 55% from two last year's first three years on the Knicks. He was at 46%, 47%, 51.5%. And that was kind of the sneaky like thing that I didn't think I realized in the moment of the we hear year is that he was not an efficient guy inside no. <laughs> park, but it was in an environment where he had, I mean, it was Alfred Payton and young RJ Barrett around him and, and Mitchell Robinson. And just like, it was a disastrous like ecosystem for basically disastrous any player. And right. like, he, he kind of did the best he could within that. And it, it worked because he made 40% of his threes. And that was kind of enough to buoy him to decent overall efficiency. The other kind of surprising thing I saw, his first three years on the Knicks, he shot 60% um, at the rim all three seasons. Again, in kind of a disastrous environment with Mitchell Robinson um, parked there in perpetuity. And last year, he got that number all the way up to 68%. And I think part of that was maybe guys having to have longer closeouts with him shooting threes at the volume yep. was. I think the bigger thing was was what you just mentioned, which was just he was in easily the best shape of his career last year. I think he had like twice as many dunks last season as he did the year before. The athleticism was just in kind of a different place. And it it clearly showed at the rim. 
And his mid-range shooting shot up 9%, but I don't think he became a better shooter. It was just that he turned essentially all the long mid-range shots he was taking, which was 20% of his shot died two years ago, into threes. It became just 11% of his shot died. Three more threes per game than he took at any single point in his career. So it just, it was, it was the kind of the perfect confluence of him like maxing himself out physically and, and then the team putting him in really good spots. Well, 100%. I, I would add that he had a higher offense rebounding percentage than he's had uh, since he's been on the Knicks, which, well, I shouldn't say his first year with the Knicks again, which I'm like basically discounting. He had a higher one, but this was, he had, he was, he was a fierce offensive rebounder. I mean, Mitch gets all the credit, rightfully so, because Mitch might be the best in the league at it, maybe behind Steven Adams. Julius Randle was a monster. He was so physical down there. And that's, again, if you get those those rebounds and putbacks, you get to the line a lot, the easy, easy, easy putback looks like all of that helps. It all contributes. But like you said, I mean, eliminating the long two from the diet is, and, and turning those into threes is it was an extraordinarily smart pivot by the by the both the team and by him implementing that change and made all the difference. And I think. You know, one thing that I don't want to underscore, uh, underrate is, you know, you add a guy like Jalen Brunson, not necessarily the chemistry between them is so obvious. It's not like a Jamal Murray Jokic situation or anything like that, where they, they play some two man game. It's OK. I mean, neither is a great passer. So it's not like that kind of chemistry, but it's just all the attention that Jalen Brunson draws opens up things for every teammate that he has, including Julius. And just a little bit less pressure on him to create all the offense, I think, was good. His turnover percentage was down um, last season. Uh, I think which was good, a little bit less dribbling into traffic because that's something that Jalen Brunson can do for this team with more effectiveness with with le- and, and remarkably few turnovers the way Jalen Brunson plays. Right. So it's all that reallocation for the team was good, was healthy as well. I think all those factors. Been, but, you know, I don't see something unsustainable uh, yeah. with what we just described. I, I think it's you know, it's imperfect. He's not a great shooter for taking that many threes, but I do think for this offense, it's healthy and good and, and, and gets the ball out of his hands quickly. And then you allow your offensive rebounders to get in there on, on misses and long misses. Mitchell Robinson gets long misses as well as he gets the short misses. Like he's just a monster. He vacuums it all up. Uh, so you want to get shots at the rim, less turnovers for him. That was the formula for this team developing into a great offense. And you, you spoke to, to his situation a couple of years ago, you know, the wee year season, that wasn't a good offensive team. It was a great defensive team. That, and that's why they were so successful. That had nothing to do with their offense. I mean, Julius carried that offense to like barely average, slightly worse than average. Hmm. The defense carried that team. All of a sudden last season, it beca- this becomes a top five offense points per possession wise in the regular season. And this is a, clearly the more healthy way for him to play in a team context. All right, guys, next with Benji, I wanted to talk Julius Randle in the playoffs issues and how the Knicks can help themselves out. And then what would happen if he got hurt this year? But before I do that, I want to tell you about our friends over at Game Time. You shouldn't have to worry when you're buying tickets to your next big event. Game Time is the fast and easy way to buy tickets for all the sports, music, comedy, and theater events near you. With killer last-minute deals, on prices used from your seat, and their best price guarantee, Game Time takes the guesswork out of buying tickets. Game Time is the only ticketing app that gives you complete peace of mind with your purchase. You can see the view from your seat before you buy, so you know exactly what to expect. When you arrive and all in prices show your total upfront. So, you know, you're getting a great deal without hidden fees. You can buy tickets in seconds with two taps. Those last two things are why I use game time. I live 12 blocks away from MSG. What I prioritize is just being able to look 30 minutes before a game and, and quickly get tickets and, and know the price I see is the price I'm ultimately going to get. Um, but they have something that really seals it in for me. And that's 
Game time has deals on tickets right up to the start of the event. And even an hour after it starts, it's a place to find last minute seats. You can find exclusive flash deals and sponsored deals on tickets for football, baseball, basketball, concerts, comedy, theater, and more. And the game time guarantees means you'll always get the best price. If you find tickets in the same section and row for less, game time will credit you 110% of the difference. You can take the guesswork out of buying tickets with game time. Download the game time app, create an account, and use code LOCKDOWNNBA for $20 off your first purchase. Terms apply. Again, create an account and redeem Code L-O-C-K-E-D-O-N-N-B-A for $20 off. Download game time today. Last minute tickets, lowest price, guaranteed. Yeah, I and and I think that the threes are are so necessary with with how they structure their offense with Mitchell Robinson because you, you just can't, and, and especially Jalen Brunson, like as clogged as the floor already is. Like, think if like Julius still wanted to be operating in the mid-range, it just wouldn't be tenable. So that was in some ways a, a sacrifice for him, but it it, it bettered him and it, it it bettered his game and it clearly bettered the team um we're, we're months removed from that aforementioned playoff failure and i almost think it's been under discussed not so much in like in just assessing it but almost in what a loss that was for the knicks from an intel gathering perspective and and just having kind of an objective view all right here's who this guy is in the playoffs because i think if he was entirely healthy and he had mm. performed like that maybe maybe it wouldn't have been wise because it's still at the end of the day it's a small sample size but i think there would have been more talk of like all right do they have to move off this guy because like at a certain point like we're just we're going einstein's definition of insanity and like we're, this is what we're going to get from him in the playoffs and there's a absolutely cap ceiling if, if that's the kind of efficiency your second best player is putting out there but because of the ankle injury like you you come out of that and you're like did we learn anything from this um and i'm curious of your opinion on that um and what's kind of your level of optimism that like these changes we talked about in the regular season can translate into the playoffs and translate to even if he's not the same guy as in the regular season something that is a facsimile of that in, instead of just close to a disaster yeah it's a great point you make about intelligence gathering um obviously more most importantly from the franchise perspective but for us analysts trying to figure out what what is going on you know when health health becomes a very difficult variable to account for. We don't really know the extent of it. We don't know how much it affected him. We don't know what exactly it affected. Um, we can assume, I think, based on the fact that he had surgery right soon after that it was pretty serious and that it must have affected him in some way. Um, here's what I do know. Um, if he has a weakness, it's, it's processing. It's quick decision-making. I do think... He's not Joel Embiid, but like Joel Embiid, if Joel Embiid has a weakness, I think similarly, it's he's a he's a meticulous player. He doesn't make the quickest decisions. He likes to hold the ball. I think those guys are going to have some trouble in the playoffs when defenses scheme play off. Like in the regular season, the extent to which defenses play off of Mitchell Robinson and Josh Hart is just not the same. Like in the playoffs, t- teams pick their poison in a more deliberate way. And there's just less space for Julius. And when he doesn't make the quick decision, when those gaps do open up, he's not ready to hit it right away. I, I do think there's something there in terms of just somebody who will have some pro- problems in the playoffs, dissecting, diagnosing a defense and making the right reads. I don't see why he can't make shots like catch and shoot threes like I, I, that. I think he can fix. It's like the possessions that drive you nuts, though. It's like the turnovers and and the forced shots in the lane where he's not seeing a pass or he never had an opportunity to see a pass because he went too quickly or didn't make a quick swing. That's the stuff that I really worry about um, in the playoffs with him. 
I don't want to say it's not fixable. I, I I just do I do think though it's a it's a flaw in his game that w- he will have trouble overcoming in the playoffs. I, it could certainly be better than it was last season, and it could be better than it was in Atlanta. And I, I I would expect that if they get to a similar situation, he would play better with more health and another year of experience. Um, but I do absolutely worry that this is a player who will not reach his regular season output in the postseason. This is a hard thing to do. And I think like when you talk about the big picture future of this team, it's, it's kind of the point I come crashing up against at, at different times where it's like, what pieces of this team can you like remove and change around and alter without destroying the fundamental identity and what, what makes them effective mm-hmm. and what made them a final eight team in the first. And I think about that in terms of Mitchell Robinson a lot, but I think it's so true for Julius. And I, I guess like what I'd want to know from you, like, is there a way that they can reallocate some of that decision-making without taking away Julius's shot-making, which is so important for this team. And I think sometimes, because obviously Brunson is such an efficient operator and has proven himself now multiple times over to be so good in the heart of the playoffs, like it removes the fact that for a lot of last season, like Julius was their engine in some ways Mm -hmm. and and the guy who was ultimately like the higher volume player and like taking on possession after possession as good as Brunson is like Julius is physically built for that like obviously he's he's also taking more damage than Brunson is but like in a way that Brunson isn't just with his size with his physicality with his ability even to get up eight threes a game like we haven't seen that Jalen Brunson can do that yet he took about half as many last year but can you like that that's it, what seven eight inches do for you right I mean right and it, can, it, it, size he, size matters absolutely um can he I guess what I'm getting at is like can he sustain like that shot volume and like be more of a finisher come playoff time and maybe even more so in the regular season to get ready for that and like other guys have the ball in their hands. I, I think that's just a very hard thing to do because inevitably, if you're a scorer, you get put into positions where you have to be a passer, especially when a defense tries to dictate that. And also outside of Jalen Brunson, it just sort of feels like, again, unless Emmanuel quickly would, would play an even larger role. Like there aren't a lot of other like great decision makers on the Knicks. Yeah. I also don't really know what that looks like um, yeah. for this team. Because, you know, as much, and the Knicks get criticized a lot for an isolation heavy offense. And it is, it is an isolation heavy offense. But I, I, it's not like they, they did this in Tibbs' first year, but no longer is it just like Carmelo post ups at the elbow. That's not what they run. I mean, they run pick and rolls usually that get switched, which end up in isolation, which you can't really do anything about. It's based on personnel and defensive personnel and how they feel like they can do that. Right. So like in the Miami series, they had Jimmy Butler, let's say, on on Brunson and Caleb Martin on Randall. Well, that's they, And then they just switch that action. And then you have to end up isolating off of that switch. Um, hard to fix. Like and then you want to say, like, OK, so let Julius operate from the elbows a little bit. But like, again, they tried that last season, the season before last season. Right. That bad season. And I didn't wasn't really effective. And he became very turnover prone. That actually puts the ball in his hands more. Like, what does it actually look like to let others? I mean, Jalen Brunson had the ball as much as anybody in the league last year in the playoffs. Not like Julius was was holding the ball a ton. I mean, Brunson had control of that whole offense basically throughout the postseason. So I don't know if it's like about taking the ball out of his hands. Um, if he plays, he's going to get the ball in certain scenarios, and it's just about trying to be quicker in his decision making. I don't really know. Yeah. What the what the schematic change is i mean i think in general yeah the knicks can obviously run some stuff to like open people up in more efficient ways more off ball screening more movement we've talked about all these things a million times i'm not i'm not rejecting that i think that's right um i just don't know 
how it manifests for Julius in the playoffs necessarily and whether or not it, it, is it how much of this is coaching, how much of this is Julius needs to be better and or Julius is going to struggle with this no matter what. You know, like I, it's a little bit of both and everything, um, but it's it's a tough it's it's a tough thing. And like. I think we under I think we've all moved to this, like, how do we make this better for the playoffs? I don't know if I struggle with this. I don't know if this team's at a point yet where we can start ignoring the regular season success, essentially, and, like, what helped them get to where they got to. And, like, they compiled wins in the regular season, especially after Josh Hart arrived, and, like, start thinking about, like, like you know, almost the way Milwaukee, when they, you know, that year they decided we need to switch more on defense in the regular season, even if it sets us back a little bit in the regular season. We know we're a contender, but we need to get more versatile defensively. Can the Knicks start making decisions like that? I don't know if we're quite there from a talent perspective. It's a really tough conference, a lot of talent in the league. Seed is not guaranteed. Like, hell, we just played the Washington Wizards in preseason. I don't think the Wizards are going to be any good. Yeah, but like Jordan Poole could freaking drop 50 on you in any game. Like, it's not going to be easy to win 45, 46 games, let alone 50. And I'm, I think the Knicks are capable of that, but a lot of that capability comes from the continuity of and, and the style of play that they've already established. I worry a little bit about transform, trying to transform again and make Julius do all sorts of different things again. Like, he's already adjusted his game so many times. They found success here, some sustained success. They get to the second round of the playoffs. And now you're going to try to switch up a lot of things again. There's a balance to be struck. The offense can be a little bit more diverse, a little bit more intricate. And I don't think it's going to be, sadly. But at the same time, I understand the approach of continuity of the smash mouth basketball that they play and succeed with. Um, I struggle with that. I don't know if you I, 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 I'm, I'm thinking aloud here, but I do struggle with that conversation. All right, guys, we are going to finish up with Benji asking a, a fun, big picture, existential question. Um, what does Julius Randle's future ultimately look like on the New York Knicks? Um, what does your future look like just in life in general? Um, a bank account full of money, if you listen to my advice. And that would be using FanDuel, America's number one sports book. Right now, new customers get $200 in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a $5 bet. That's $200 in bonus bets, win or lose. If you've been thinking about joining FanDuel, there's no better time to get in on the action. The app is so easy to use. There's a wide range of betting options, including spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. I am looking at night one of the NBA season uh, where the New York Knicks are two and a half point underdogs against the Boston Celtics. You guys know the move, uh, throw some money down on the Knicks and uh, maybe buy yourself a, a ticket to MSG for the next home game um, with the money you win. If you want to do that, visit FanDuel.com slash NBA and kick off both the NFL and NBA season the right way. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. No, I think I think it's a great point, and it's 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 a bigger picture conversation. But it's it's how much do you take away from last year's playoff run? And we obviously we got burned during the Kemba season of like having too high expectations coming into the year based off a playoff run, and clearly a lot of that team wasn't sustainable. I, I don't think the same thing's going to happen this year, especially because there's so much more continuity. But you can look back at the playoff run and say Cleveland was a great matchup. Miami was an eight seed that pulled yeah. off the upset and like there's a tendency to look at that series. And I've, I've certainly approached it this way at points and say, Hey, 
like two of our three best players were hurt. Like one of them was out and, and one of them was playing on an ankle that required surgery after. And there's a world where the Knicks could have been in the conference finals. And like, that's true. And also in some ways that series doesn't feel like as close as it was, which was like a six game series that came down to one or two made shots from going to a game seven. But was it actually that close? Like those are all questions. Right. Knicks right. Need to ask themselves when deciding how all in to go. And all I could think about while you were talking was like the clearest solution to me is, is just to have more shooting on the floor and make reads easier for Julius. And we saw like all play out. They were like, like even when Quentin Grimes was like probably played or, or at least shot about as bad as someone who's that good of a shooter could shoot, right? Like, like 30, like 28, whatever be shot from free throw splits. Like they were still infinitely better when he was on the court, just having the threat of him. And I think part of that is like, that just makes Julius's life in terms of like the reads, like how comfortable teams are sending a second guy his way easier but it's also sort of the structure of the Knicks like no matter what at least right now unless they're playing Brunson DiVincenzo Grimes or Brunson quickly Grimes which is a little smaller than Tibbs wants down the stretch of games like yeah. that is fundamentally going to be an issue right yeah no a hundred percent a hundred percent um and I, I I find myself erring on the side of just do what works for this team like that like until we get the talent upgrade, like a massive talent upgrade. Yeah. Like, and this team's very talented. Don't get me wrong. But, like, I personally don't think it's quite on a contender status. Until you get to that point, like, we, this formula worked, really worked for this team. Um, I, I think they can shoot better this season. And I think we haven't even touched on the defensive side of the ball. That's, to me, the, the biggest change I want to see this season is Julius defending with real spirit, real effort. Um, schematically, I want to be more aggressive with him because I think it brings out the best in him when he switches, when he's active. I think when he plays drop, he gets lazy and the team the team suffers. To me, like this team, if we can assume that there's some drop off offensively, you know, the third in the league last year, and let's say, I mean, I think, I I think top ten is a good goal offensively for this team, but they if they if they do get that drop, they need to improve the defense. Um, which was which was poor, better since Josh Hart got there. But I, I, I this team needs to strive for a top ten defense, and in order to achieve that, Julius to me was the weak point. Him and Brunson both, but Brunson more just because he's not very good at it, and Julius because he's not always willing. And yeah. I think to me that for that's the biggest change in the Knicks in Julius stylistically that I want to see. It's just a better effort consistently on the defensive end. I think that elevates the team more than any change to him specifically offensively could be. I think they maximized him in the regular season offensively. I don't know how they changed that defensively. I think he can, he can take that upon himself to be a much better player. Yeah, that would, it, it, it's such a hard thing because it, it, it feels like so much of it is mental. I know, I know you had the whole inertia theory with him last year and <laughs> I'm in agreement with you. Like I would, I would like to see more of that. And also that offers you, like, I, I know you said the Knicks aren't necessarily at this point yet, but potentially more scheme versatility in the playoffs. If you're forced to try some of that out in the regular season, like, do you, do you think that's something that Tibbs is willing to do? Because it felt like, and you, you know, this stuff a lot better than I do, but they were like pretty one note defensively last year, but I, I could have been missing stuff there. I, yeah. I think um, with the starting lineup, it was basically always the same. 
how Tibbs schemes Julius or whether Julius makes all of his own decisions, I still don't know. I wish I could. I wish I was a beat reporter. I could just ask Tibbs this question. I don't understand the reason or rhyme behind what they do with Julius defensively. He drops sometimes. He blitzes sometimes. He switches sometimes. I don't know who makes the calls. I don't know. Like I know in the Atlanta series, for example, they made a conscious decision. He's going to switch on to Trey Young every time at some point. Like it took them a couple games. Mm. Other than that, uh, may, uh, Luca, I think they switch him pretty consistently. Like certain guys, he'll always switch on. Certain guys like seems random. His teammates don't always seem to know what he's going to do. <laughs> like I, they need to just kind of hammer that out, like, like on a base level. Like what is he doing every game? I want it to be more aggressive. Um, I think I think he's better that way. I think teams better that way. In terms of like the general team, I think Tibbs was a little bit more willing to change scheme last season, especially with the second unit. Hardenstein got much more aggressive at the level as the year went on. He started to show. He started to blitz Sims when he plays is a more versatile defender and quicker on his feet. So he can switch more liberally than the other two bigs. Um, but with Mitch, it's pretty, it's pretty like a Mitch pick and roll is going to be pretty much a drop uh, that, that, that hasn't changed. And this is all for the Julius Randall topic, but we're talking about it. I worry about that. I, I think the league has gotten, and, and you saw it last night, man, like Mike Mascal is out there and we just don't have an answer. Like you get five out on us, Porzingis kills us. Like you get five out on our team. We are just going to struggle to contain. We're so reliant on that help and drop when the guy can't drop. It just feels like driving lanes are available. And if the, then the center feels like he's got to get in the lane and then the hell is five for five from three and Porzingis hits three on us. Like, I don't know if we have a good answer to that right now. That worries me because the league is just getting more and more stretchy shooters everywhere. Um, You have a contender in the East now in Boston, who's going to play five out most of the time. Um, Milwaukee, other than Giannis, is everyone's shooting. I, I I worry about that a lot. I actually wonder if Jericho Sims is part of the solution in certain lineups when they go five out. Julius at the five is not going to happen. Maybe it would be. I don't know if that's what you were alluding to before. Like as in terms of versatility, like could go to that. I think they only go to it when they're like down twenty for some reason. Um, but we'll see. I I, I think Tim's is will be more willing to change things up. I, it is something that I worry about, though. And in terms of Julius himself, like I don't, they need to just figure out what he does on a possession to possession basis, and he needs to commit to it, just like he did on the offensive side. Like they made a plan, he stuck to it, it got better. It needs to happen on the defensive side this year. I, I know part of this question is 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 how long, but can the Knicks survive an extended Julius Randle absence this year? Because I think that hasn't been maybe talked about enough. And to me, is like the, the single way this season goes down is as a disaster for the Knicks if he's out for. 30 games, God forbid, at some point. Like, I think they're in trouble, but do you think there are solutions there? Uh, I think it'll be tough. I'm not sure how much different it is from last season. Mm. Because I like Obi, and I think Obi's going to have a lot of success in the league, and he's going to have a lot of success in Indiana. He wasn't a power forward. <laughs> this is certainly where the Knicks were playing him. He wasn't a power forward. Um, he was playing on the wing. He was, he was, and that's, I think was the logic behind the move was like, we can replace Obi top and masquerading as a wing with a wing in DiVincenzo. Um, Obi's not a rebounder. Like DiVincenzo is as good a rebounder as Obi Toppin is. Um, a lot of like, uh, there aren't that many teams that have big power forwards anymore. I mean, they, they exist, but like, it's it's a it's pretty much now like like ball handler three wings and a center on most teams. Um, yes, I think they can survive. I mean, I think the loss of the talent 
Yeah. Uh, their second most talented player probably um, will damage any team, including the Knicks. I don't think like I'm not worried. I'm not that worried from a size perspective, if that's kind of what you're getting at. Yeah. Um, am I worried that Tibbs is going to like then insert Jericho Sims for like 20 minutes at the four? Slightly. <laughs> but we'll see. It's almost slightly yeah. worried. Yeah, you were you were yeah. Well, let's go even taller, baby. Exactly, yeah. exactly. Like right. I think you can survive with Josh Hart, RJ, even Divincenzo with the four. Like you might get hurt on the boards a little bit, but like I, I, I'm just not that worried about it. Gotcha. All right. From the size perspective, again, losing Julius matters just because it's Julius. Of course. All right. Well, uh, we'll wrap up on this. Um, it's and it's a big one. What do you think his long term future on the Knicks is? Um, <sighs> Is he on a championship contending version of this team in a few years? Kenny, like you, you mentioned, he's to change his game, he's changed his game, he's changed his game. He's got the first option, the second option. Kenny, be a third option. And like, that's like, you can bring this, like, I think for almost everyone not named Jalen Brunson and Quentin Grimes, and to a lesser extent, like a Josh Hart or DiVincenzo, like, this is a question for almost everyone on the Knicks. But I think it, it looms larger for Randall, obviously, because at times he's, he was last season their best player. Yeah, it applies almost to everyone on the Knicks, maybe except for Quentin Grimes, who, like, I could stick on any team and probably can play on a championship team. Um, Not because he's better than those guys, but because roles matter and he can be in a KCP, Danny Green type of role and succeed, I think. Um, The question is, like, uh, right, uh, with Julius, I... I think it's going to be, like, this is a prove-it year on the defensive end for me. Like, if you're going to be a third option, you have to guard. Like, there is no – he's not going to be, like, a sixth man. Um, so, like, you know, sometimes you get those guys. Even those guys lose playing time in the playoffs inevitably who don't guard. Like, he's going to – he has how many more years on this extension? Remind me. He has, I think, next year is his last one. This year and next year. So, yeah. let's say that, they, like, they're going to sign him to a new deal. He's going to make a whole lot of money. Um, he's going to – he's not going to take a discount again. Guarantee you that. Um, and he switched agencies, which I think is interesting in terms of the fact that he took a discount. Um, I don't know if he thought it was a discount at the time, but like when you look at the production since, it was a discount. Um, they got him at a really good deal, and I don't think he's going to leave any cent on the table next next time around. Um, so he's going to have to guard in order to, to to fill any kind of role that makes sense as like a third option on a championship team, I think especially if it's with Jalen Brunson and like superstar X, like he can't Brunson's never going to be a good defender. He needs going to need to be a very good defensive player. And I don't think it's out of reach. I don't. Um, I think a lot of it is just commitment. So that's number one. I think the fact that he is now a high volume three point shooter allows the possibility um, because he can play off ball and he can hurt you from out there. And like, just like, it's a helpful to have that kind of power and speed on it. Like he's just, he's a force to be reckoned with on every possession, on every possession on the boards. He's a freaking monster. And like sometimes basketball is, is complicated. Sometimes it's really simple. Like no one wants to play that guy because he can hurt you. <laughs> like he's just, he's scary um, to play against. He's, he's a beast. So like just that baseline of like super skilled, super powerful, a handful to deal with catch and shoot three pointers. You just got to add the defensive element. I think then the answer is probably yes, but it's complicated. And like championship teams, there are no rules. Like they're all different and the league changes too. Right. So it's not, I don't think it's that simple ever in terms of like this works on a championship team. This doesn't work on a championship team, but I, I think 
the outline of a player exists that can be kind of a supporting piece on a, on a championship team if he guards. Man, given some of the lows he's had in New York, if that, I mean, one, look, a, a championship period would, would obviously be the, the, the pinnacle. Well, you, you have children, but for me, the, the pinnacle of my life. Um, and, and, um, and no Julius, comment. Julius being <laughs> smart, probably. Um, yeah, and, and, you, and you've gotten married. So. Uh, but yeah. but Julius, um, Julius being like a central figure in that, I think would just go down as like one of the great New York sports stories ever. And I don't Man. think that's overstating it. And it's nice. Uh, the, this is, uh, I think, quite possibly the last podcast I'll record before the season starts. So I think it, it's it's a really good time for me to dream. and, and to <laughs> Yes, dream. Dream away, um, man. Be positive. Be cool. Yeah. I mean, it, that, it, it's it's not even like rags to riches. It's like rags to riches to rags to riches. Like this guy has been a freaking roller coaster. You know what, uh, if he has one more bad year this year, that would make it even crazier. <laughs> yes, it would. Yes, it would. Uh, he, he looks good, though. I got to say he looks good. Like, I, he'll make the frustrating Julius plays like he had one last night where it's like an easy swing, swing to Grimes, and he somehow holds onto it, drives into two bodies, turns it over, yeah. drives you crazy. But, like, he looks good. He looks in shape. He looks strong. Shot looks good. I don't think there's any reason to think he's going to have a – not going to have another really solid year. Um, and I expect that. I expect that. And I hope, again, the buy-in comes defensively. Then that, that's where the big change is made. Um, but, yeah, uh, it would be a remarkable story if he was part of the, the team going forward. I don't know if it's likely. Uh, it's probably less – I would say chances are he's not part of that championship future that exists out there somewhere. But it would be really cool if he was because, man, yeah, it, it, that would be an amazing sports story and a roller coaster ride for sure with Julius Randle. All right. On that, on that very, very happy note, uh, Benji Ridholz, thank you so much for your time. Before I let you go, um, can you tell everyone where they can find, I, I didn't even, I, I was negligent. That's, I didn't. <laughs> no, 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 not at all. Work you do on, on Twitter threads at the beginning of the episode. Um, I will mention in the, in the pre-episode part that I haven't recorded yet. Um, and of course, um, every, everything you do with Nick's Home School, but can you let everyone know where they can find all that? I appreciate that, man. It's uh, Ben Ridholz MBA um, is my Twitter handle or X handle. Um, you can find basically everything that I do there. I'm on the next film school. Uh, I do a lot of podcasts there with, uh, with my friend DJ Zulo. We have one. I don't know what it's going to be once every couple of weeks or something once a month. I don't know exactly. I'm on with Macri here and there. Uh, you'll find me on that channel a lot and uh, hopefully, hopefully coming on locked on every, every once in a while too, to check in and see how we're doing. So I'm looking forward to that. And when, whenever you want, man. I'm, and anyone who listens to this knows that DJ does an incredible job as well. So that is an absolute dream team. And it's a good time to mention uh, we have a crossover with Nick's Film School dropping uh, tomorrow. Assuming I end up oh, this. sweet. Monday. Right. So that'll be a lot of fun. Our, our annual bold predictions, which I hope you'll be in on next year, Benji, is that we can turn a three-hour podcast into a five-hour podcast. And that I love just it. Be a um, but until then, he's Benji. I'm Gavin. We'll talk to you very soon on Locked On. Bye, guys.